Welcome to Lights at the End of the Tunnel, a place where we shine a light on, rant, complain, and try to find solutions about the MGA. After all, we are all in these tin cans together. Welcome back to Lights at the End of the Tunnel. Glad to have you back. Episode 36. Recorded February 17th, 2020. On this episode, I speak with Costa Constantinides. Costa represents New York City Council's 22nd District. His district includes Astoria, Rikers Island, parts of Jackson Heights, Woodside, and East Elmhurst. Born and raised in Astoria, he understands the needs of those living in Queens. He is currently on the Resiliency and Waterfronts Committee, Environmental Protection Committee, Sanitation and Solid Waste Management Committee, and Technology Committee. He is also part of the Jewish Caucus. He is currently running for Borough President of Queens. On Monday, February 17, 2020, Councilman Constantinides and I sat down to discuss the bus redesign plan, the need for borough representation on the board, the potential for the much-needed tri-borough line, and so much more. After my conversation with Councilman Constantinides, I will speak on what we learned from the Councilman and my thoughts on what we had learned. Following my summary, I'll contact information for the Councilman and myself. Please enjoy! Today, I'm speaking with New York City Councilman Costa Constantinides. Costa represents New York City Council's 22nd district. His district includes Astoria, Rikers Island, parts of Jackson Heights, Woodside, and East Elmhurst. Born and raised in Astoria, he understands the needs of those living in Queens. He is currently on the Resiliency and Waterfronts, Environmental Protection, Sanitation, Solid Waste Management, and Technology Committees. He is also part of the Jewish Caucus. He is currently running for Borough President of Queens. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you really so much for having me. We can all agree that the state of public transit in the boroughs is in pretty sorry shape. However, Queens faces unique challenges that other boroughs don't, such as large pieces of transit desert, debris falling from the elevated tracks, and the overburdened seven line. There is so much to talk about. So let's start with the bus redesign. The bus redesign is happening throughout all the boroughs but Queens is, has a different perspective on it due to the fact that there are large transit deserts. What do you like about the current bus redesign plan and what do you not like about the current bus design redesign plan? Uh, I am glad that the MTA took on the endeavor of doing the redesign, mm -hmm. right? The redesign in principle was desperately needed. True. Um, this was something that you know, I know that Writers Alliance and many other advocacy organizations had fought for for a really long time. Uh, the, and the fact that they're going through this process, to their credit, um, I really want to sort of you know, publicly say that it's a good thing. Uh, my frustration point with it has been uh, the way in which they've done the redesign. Mm -hmm. um, they've made a lot, as in their words, made a lot of assumptions about how we take our buses Okay. and trains here in Queens. And, you know, they're, they're, if, if you want to go to two places, if you want to go to the airport or you want to go to another train, that this plan works well for you. But if you want to go to a senior center or visit another neighborhood 
or do the many things that we do here in Queens, including get to a station that's actually wheelchair accessible. Um, this doesn't do that. So basically, <clears throat> they didn't actually live the plan. They just sort of made assumptions based on large points of interest, mm -hmm. and they didn't take into consideration everyday living. Yes. Yes. Yes, that is that is one of my but that is part of my angst with the MTA is that there really isn't someone whose job it is to fight for queens on their board. Right. And um, we do need board representation for the boroughs because a lot of people on the board do not live in the boroughs. They do not take transit. So it's important that the board represents us in the boroughs so they have to live it. So what do you what would if you could make changes to the board, what would they be? I mean, first, I think municipal control is probably the best way forward. That, so, so you're for um, the speaker's plan? I am for the speaker's plan. Okay. Um, but falling short of that, mm -hmm. I'll start, make that my default, right? Okay. I, I really believe that municipal control, like us actually having control of our own transit makes the most sense. Uh, because, but here we have a system where, you know, Nassau County, Suffolk County, Westchester County all have more representation on the board than we do. I mean, even Putnam County. 98,892 people. Mm -hmm. That's half of my council district, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> Has more of a vote on the MTA board than we do here in Queens. So we've put forth the proposal to have borough president representation. And, you know, we've seen the state legislature already pick it up. Uh, Andrew Gennardis and Aravella Samotis picking it up as a bill. Mm -hmm. uh, Ruben Diaz Jr., the borough president of the Bronx, endorsing the plan. Queens mm -hmm. Gazette and the Brooklyn Eagles saying it's the right way forward. I mean, I think that, it, you know, I'm someone who rides the trains to City Hall. Right. I think I've maybe driven to City Hall uh, seven times in seven years. Um, so I think we need to have a much, we have to have representation of people who actually ride the buses and subways, people who are part of the system, who understand the system, as you said, live the system. Have them be the voices on the MTA board, because right now what we're getting instead is a lot of assumptions and a lot of guesses, which I don't find are, are moving the ball forward for us. Well, that, that's another problem that people in Brooklyn had a problem <clears> with that, too. When the bus redesign was presented, it's just like it's not really livable. Mm -hmm. And it's true. I mean, there are many changes to it that people feel viscerally because it's like you're, you're taking away their ability to move to, like, along their neighborhood, to a different neighborhood to visit their friend or their mom or whatever. Speaking of buses, I know that you would like another, you would like a busway like the 14th Street Busway here in Queens. Let's talk about congestion, and Queens has <clears throat> congestion. Oh, we do. And we need more buses to move in Queens. So if you could have a dream busway in Queens, where would you like to see it situated? I think that there would need to be one in western Queens. Okay. Um, you know, we get 2,000 cars an hour on, the, on 21st Street on average. That's even at 2 o'clock in the morning. So for us, uh, you know, that using the Queensboro Bridge and getting to Manhattan quickly is just not a thing. Yeah. Um, so I think that somewhere in western Queens, whether it's 21st, whether it's Crescent Street, whether it's Vernon Boulevard, finding that place that there is, you know, a free right-of-way makes a lot of sense. Uh, but even further, uh, you know, that there's been colleagues of mine who have suggested Northern Boulevard or Queens Boulevard, and I think those are, those are two streets that we should absolutely study, right? If we want to get people out of their cars from eastern Queens, the way to do that is make their transit time shrink. 
So I think we should take a hard look at lots of streets and say, is this our moment to get it done? And then move forward in a way that is, you know, <laughs> that really happens. <laughs> but this was a missed opportunity too. Because I would have loved for the MTA to say we're going to study busways yeah. as an opportunity as part of this redesign, make it built into the program, and it hasn't been. True. What are your thoughts on the MTA's current idea to use Uber and Lyft to take people from transit deserts where the buses don't run all that often? to train stations <clears throat> as opposed to, you know, just running more buses, you know, bad idea. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess no, I don't play poker well, so you could probably read it on my face. <laughs> so this is a podcast. So <laughs> you're, you're always going to know what I'm thinking. Yeah. Um, we have, what is it, 80,000 for hire vehicles that have been added by Uber and Lyft that have contributed to congestion. So I don't believe the solution to congestion is to have more for hire vehicles <laughs> to create more congestion. I, I firmly believe that you know, this plan had to be revenue neutral, despite the fact that we're looking at in a year from now, what does congestion pricing mean for the boroughs? And looking at those saying that we were gonna get a, a, a spike in revenue, that means should be a spike in service. Yes, true. Um, but we didn't design the plan that way. Well, if the MTA had expanded and maintained the system over the decades, Uber, Lyft, Via wouldn't even exist in the boroughs, especially not in Manhattan. And it's just like, I feel like they've kind of lost the reasoning behind the MTA. They're going to use cars to transfer people. It's just like your entire purpose for being is to move people with trains and buses, and now you're just wanting to use private vehicles. It's like that's actually not helping anything. I, I don't believe that it is. I mean, you know, the, the trains, you know, our, our mass transit system should be the opportunity to get people out of their cars. And right now we're just, we're not trending in that direction. It's true. Speaking of cars, you've made a point of letting us know as borough president, you will not take a publicly funded car and that you will use tra public transit when you are able to. Why is it important that local and state politicians take public transit? I mean, I love taking the train. Um, you know, people talk, stop me on the train and ask me about uh, the pothole on their street mm -hmm. or the local issue that they have. We're able to have good conversations about the things that are happening in my community. Um, but also, I'm not contributing to uh, what is congestion and creating a larger carbon footprint in the city of New York. It's a win-win. Yeah. I talked about it. I drive very, very, very seldomly to City Hall, usually only on Greek Independence Day when we have our events there, because uh, I have to ca I have to bring in the food and, and carrying trays of hot taropita <laughs> don't really work well. Uh, but you know that's only once a year. Mm -hmm. uh, but usually I'm I'm on the trains and people see me there. They see me at the during the delays. Mm -hmm. They see me living that same experience. I understand. I, I tweet about it. I talk about it. It's important that if, as an elected official, that you're living that life, that our constituents are same, it's the same trials and tribulations on public transit they're dealing with, too. Uh, so I just really, I think it's important all the way around, and I just can't see, I'd rather take those, those budget lines mm -hmm. and use them for a deputy borough president for sustainability. Get a climate scientist, get someone who can actually direct our borough's uh, climate footprint and work at making better transit, uh, better opportunities for renewable energy, really make Queens this sort of, you know, climate fighting capital. I'd rather spend, you know, a hundred and something thousand dollars a year on that than on a publicly funded car and driver. 
Yeah, I mean, I started following you on Twitter a couple of years ago when you started really talking about, like, transit and the issues here in Queens. I was just like, okay, he gets it. <laughs> he rides it. He gets it. So it's just like, so, yeah, I was just like, let me see if he'll talk to me on the podcast about all these yeah. issues. And then really what really made me want to talk to you was your um, trying to get a study done for the Triborough line, which is so important to me because I live in Bay Ridge. So it's just like getting here was a trial, you know, taking the R to the end, going through the city. It just took a long time. And then, you know, you kind of hung out on the bridge for a minute like you do. Mm -hmm. You know, you look at the city and it's all yeah. really pretty and you're just like, OK, I'd like to move now. <laughs> so if, if, we, if we could make it easier from, you know, Brooklyn to Queens to Bronx, because let's face it, our lives are changing. We're just not going to Manhattan and coming back. We have lives that involve other boroughs weekends and how we'd like to live our lives so explain why you like the triborough line and how you'd like to see this come to fruition i mean too often you know we get branded the outer boroughs mm -hmm. i heard someone say this and i think it's the truth we are the better boroughs <laughs> <laughs> you, you know the world doesn't revolve around manhattan anymore no. lives are changing lives are changing and i i want i want our residents of of to, to come here and experience the great uh, place that astoria is and be able to get you know get to where they need to go who live in this community, mm -hmm. and too often what happened here on our weekends is the MTA like sort of you know shut down our lines and left us in very sort of stranded state. Yeah. Um, you know Didn't whether the end doing... just be, not be in service this weekend, if I recall correctly. That sounds it it's, sounds about right. Yeah. Sadly, <laughs> I've been I've been knocking. I have you know this this weekend I've been for my borough president's run been knocking doors in different parts of the boroughs. So I've been taking different methods of transit lately. Um, but, uh, you know, different, you know, E, F, and R, but not as much the N. But, you know, there, there's just the challenge, right, is that we want people to be able to get from Bay Ridge. I remember working there. Mm -hmm. You know, that would have been a much better commute to take the, RP, <laughs> the, the Triborough line. Uh, I just think that we should be making these bold investments in transit rather than, uh, and I'll sort of bring this up, I'm not sure if we can talk about it later, but the air train. Yeah, sure, if you want to, <laughs> that's fine. You know, I just think that, you know, if we have a choice, yeah. I think that connecting more people to transit would probably be a better investment than sort of the last mile to, you know, to an air train that there's not a lot of support for in the community. No, there isn't. There isn't. <laughs> it's very confusing. They're not really clear on what the plan is that for that, and it's all very convoluted, and then people get confused. They're like, yeah, it's great to get to LaGuardia, but what else does it do? And, and it could be $8, and it could if it's if it's like yeah, the JFK, it's, it's like really, 8 bucks. Like, that's just, Who's going to ride that other than people that are coming to and from the airport? And we're creating a transit system just for them, which is it just not really to be. It's not functional. It's not feasible. It's not sustainable. Yeah. And the fact are that the, the tracks are already there. So it's just like you don't have to build anything. You just have to make sure the tracks are serviceable. And if they're already there mm -hmm. and they're already going through these boroughs, why not just use it? Why not just do it? Make everybody's life easier, including mine. Because we're all very important, <laughs> but right now we're talking about me, so it's very important. I, I, I hear you. In your former life, it was important. And it's important for all of us to be able to move freely. Speaking of moving freely, let's talk about accessibility. One of the great things that Andy Byford did was put accessibility issues front and center. The MTA is currently woefully, willingly, and shamefully out of compliance with the ADA Act and has been for 30 years. The capital plan, fast forward plan, calls for upwards of 70 elevators. Given the MTA's track record with not completing projects on time and sometimes in subpar fashion, do you believe that they will complete all, the installation of all of these elevators on time? I want to believe. I know. 
I really do. <laughs> I want to believe that, that they're actually going to accomplish this, but I have a, a, a crisis of faith. I know. It's really sad, isn't it? It is. I mean, we had our line $150 million along the end from Queensboro Plaza to Dittmar's Boulevard in the last uh, four years. And one station got an elevator. And I told them, I would argue with them, I would say, you know, if there was ever a time to do this, you're knocking everything down to stud. Mm -hmm. If there was a moment to put an elevator, this is that moment. Sure. Bake it into, it's easier to bake it into the cake than retrofit it later. Yeah. They, with the exception of the Story Boulevard, which they will dispute, and I still believe the only reason they put it there is because of the connectivity to LaGuardia Airport. Mm. Then again, we're still accommodating riders to the airport rather than accommodating everyday pe pedestrians. Because if you're going to tell me it's for the mom with the stroller, well, if she's going two stops to a doctor's appointment or to her child's school, th there's no elevator on the other side. True. Don't, don't uh, you know, if you're telling me it's for my seniors, well, if they're going to the senior center two stops away, then you're they're being disingenuous. Yeah. The reason it's there is because it has connectivity to the airport. Nothing else. No other reason. There might be some sort of there might be some other rationales that may be, but it's not the majority reason. And I think that we had a chance here to put elevators in almost every stop. And now they're saying in a couple of years, as part of the lawsuit, they're going to put Broadway Station, which they closed for eight months. They just rebuilt. They spent $30 million to rebuild it. It looks very pretty. Yeah. But nice stop, it's Bay not where you want to be. Closed for nine months, uh, $25 million, no elevator. Smith and 9th Street in Brooklyn, the tallest in the boroughs, two years under renovation, no elevator. And the escalators are frequently broken. It's like they know what they should do, they're just not going to. But it's not enough that you have these elevators. You have to maintain them and keep them clean. Mm -hmm. And personally, I think that once all these elevators are there, I think they should publish a maintenance schedule because all of their maintenance seems to be reactive. But they need to have like a proactive regular, just everyday maintenance, just to look at it to make sure everything is working. I mean, the building here that my office resides in, they have to have a maintenance schedule. They have to show you when the last time the elevator was serviced yeah. in the wall, and yet we have uh, you know, a city you know, a city resource, a state resource that doesn't have to go through the same. It's, it's weird. It's just, it's terrible, and it makes yeah. me very angry. But, you know, we can use the anger for positive things and try to move it forward. Yeah. What are your thoughts on Andy Byford's resignation? Uh, disappointment. Yeah. You know, we, we, we should never let personalities uh, detract from the work. And, you know, it's, it's hard sometimes to separate personalities from, from the work, but it's at the end of the day, we all have a job to do, and that job should be the most important thing that we're trying to accomplish. And... I'm disappointed, and I'm, I'm hoping that whoever it is is going to be, you know, that's going to take his place, is, is up to the task in the way that he was, mm -hmm. um, and that we are going to be able to have that same good of working relationship and someone who's going to ride the trains and be part of the system and, and be interested in the system. But you know, it only sort of reinforces what we already know is that municipal control is probably the best route. <laughs> But what I liked about Andy is that he understood that transit is not only like a functional part of our lives getting us from point A to point B, it's also an emotional thing. Knowing that a train will show up, get us to our job on time, get us to childcare, get us to our doctor's appointment, or seniors going to your senior center so you could have a life. Mm -hmm. And for those with disabilities, because they have lives too. 
and there's an emotional consequence to not being able to get to where you need to be. And he seemed to understand that. Nobody else seems to understand that, but he seemed to understand that. I mean, he, you know, he's he's a special person that, and and we had an op, we had a you know a leader that you know kind of got it, and it's very tough to sort of recreate that. And I hope that we're able to sort of find that lightning in a bottle again. Well, let's hope so. Do you think the mayor uses his bully pulpit effectively for transit? I think we could always do better, mm-hmm. right? I think that at the end of the day, we should be loud and proud about the things that we need. And, you know, whether you're the mayor, whether you're the borough president, whether you're, you know, whatever office you're in, the city council member, um, we should be talking about transit all the time because it impacts everything that we do. Sure. So I, I think we, there's always room for improvement. There's been a lot of discussion about making transit free. Councilman Mark Traeger is submitting a plan to make transit free in the boroughs. Peter Harrison, who's running for Congress in New York District 12, has created an entire plan for tr- free transit. Do you think it's even possible in a system this large to make it free? Yes. Is it? Um, I think look, it would take a lot of really solid funding choices that are in a lockbox in the long term. We'd have to make some really sort of good decisions as a city and state. That's why I feel like the municipality, having municipal control, would probably make that a lot easier. Okay. Because we're not then dealing with Albany um, in the same way, because now Albany's sort of got the ball, despite the fact they claim that they don't have the ball. (laughs) It's true. I mean, the governor takes control of it, says he's in control of it, depending on what's happening. And that's not the way to run uh, the largest service provider in the state of New York. It services 15 million people from Metro North to LIRR. 15, the whole of the state of New York is 19 million people, and 15 million of them can be serviced by the MTA. That's not the way to run it, but that's just me. So, I, you know, yeah. I mean, there's, it's that old joke between the, 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 the married couple that, you know, when, uh, when one is talking to the other, if their child has done something that they like or didn't like, it's like, your son did this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, you know, you, 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 get, you have to claim them all the time. Right, right. <laughs> So you know you can't get, you just can't claim our transit system when it's going well. You have to train. You have to you know claim it with all the warts and all the challenges and all the things, and be committed to getting those repairs in the wrong term. And that's why I feel that if we were had municipal control, if we had more control of the, the MTA board, uh, you know it would give us an opportunity to have these really sort of fundamental conversations around transit to see what our priorities are because budgets are priorities. Yeah. We could get there. We'd have to to really commit long-term to f- dedicated funding sources that were locked in for the long haul. And that's something we have not even been able to do yet with a transit that we're paying for. Yes. So we'd have to sort of really sort of have a culture shift that I feel is overdue. But yes, I think we could get there. Do you think that fair fares does enough to serve our low-income neighbors? We fought really hard for it. I know. I mean, it was, it was a, a fight that you know, the speaker and our institution was for a long time on our own. Uh, but not our, when I say that on, on our own, I mean we had a lot of this very strong advocates with us. So I don't want to make it seem like we were the only ones fighting for it because uh, we weren't. There were really amazing advocates that were fighting even prior to the council. Um, but, you know, we, we were pushing this issue. The advocates were pushing this issue. I feel it, it does uh, – it's a great step forward. I remember making 425 an hour almost 30, 30 years ago. 
and having to make you know, hard decisions about transit and yeah. say, am I going to pay for, uh, am I going to walk to work or am I going to ride to work on the, on the train? I know people who do that. I know some people who take the train into work but walk home. Yeah. Because that, that's their lives. So, you know, it's the thing where it's like when the train craps out, if you're lucky enough, like I know that I'll be okay if I take a cab. Mm-hmm. Like once once a week or so. Because, you know, from Bay Ridge, it'll cost you like $70 to get into, you know, mid- Midtown. Yeah. Yeah, I've done that. I remember doing that three times one week. Wow. Because the R train just, and then the N train went, and it's like, I just have to get to work now. Yeah. So it's just like, I didn't go to the grocery store that week because it's just like, I just spent like $200 to get somewhere. And if you if 275 is it for you, then that's it for you. And yeah. that, it's just, it's a lot, and it's expensive. Some people don't consider two seventy five a lot, but it is a lot for some people. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, if you're if even with the, even with fifteen dollars an hour as the minimum wage, even with that in place, um, still you have people working part time fifteen hours a week. Yeah. And you know they still have to feed their families, still have to pay their rent, still have to pay their utilities, have to do all these things, and then transit's just one more sort of burden that they're sort of bearing. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's absolutely an impediment to their upward mobility. Yeah, I remember once tweeting at you know New York City subway once when everything was going straight to pot. I was just like, you know, I need to get to work so I can pay rent and eat. So if we could get these trains moving, that'd be good. Yeah. So if you could have Governor Cuomo, Pat Foy, Bill de Blasio, and Andy Byford, his last day is Friday, so he still can still be in the room. If you could have them all in the room, what would you say to them? Ride the trains with us for a week. Ride the trains with us for a week. In like Every, the outer boroughs? In, in, the better, in the better boroughs. In the better boroughs. <laughs> That's right. Come ride the trains with us. Come speak to the people who ride it every day. Come see what their experiences are. Don't do it, for, don't do it just once. Don't bring your camera crew? Don't bring a camera crew. We're all going to be in jeans and sneakers like I am today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we're not going to do it. For, we're just going to ride the trains together um, for a solid week. And then let's reconvene at the end of that week, and let's talk. And I think that's going to provide everyone a different perspective because once you're living it, yeah. it's much different than just talking about it. It's, it, you know, reading about something in a book and then living it are two different experiences. Very true. Lately, I've been asking people if there's hope for transit in New or better transit in New York City. Do you believe that there are better days ahead? And I hope so. Yeah. You know, there. I, I remember the '80s. I remember there being uh, lots of challenges and 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 seeing the system sort of come back from those challenges. I mean, I've been, you know, been riding the you know the trains by myself since I was you know 13, 14 years old, and I'm a little older than that now. Yeah. <laughs> so, We're all a little bit older now. Yeah, I mean, now I have my own son who's gonna who starts to wants to uh, start walking around by himself and. Yeah, he's going to want to ride the trains and the buses soon alone. So, I mean, I just think we have to, we have to fight for better days. It's, it's not something that's just going to be gifted to us. Right. It's going to be us all kind of fighting for it and prioritizing it in everything that we do. In our remaining time, is there anything else you'd like to say about the state of transit in Queens and what your hopes are for Queens in 2020 and beyond? Yeah, I think for Queens, I mean, if we're going to hit the emissions reduction goals that we have, if we're going to reduce... 80 by, you know, 80% our emissions by 2050. If, you know, transit is a huge part of that. We need to get people out of their cars. We need to build a system that is green in the long term that allows for 
the growth that this borough is going to have and, that the, way, and the sort of carbon reductions that we need. We can't do this without transit. So we need to prioritize it as, as part of all of our plans, that this is a huge part of how we make Queens the you know, green sort of leader that we know it can be. So that's something I'm prioritizing in my run for Queensboro president, whether it's the MTA board member, whether it's having a borough-wide transportation plan. I really believe that borough presidents should be talking about this all the time and that they are like the county executive. So you know, working with neighborhoods to see what a better transit plan should be and then going to the MTA and the mayor and the DOT and, and the governor and the state legislature and saying, here's what we think would be better. And constantly leading on transit rather than being reactionary to transit is a place that I feel the borough president can really lead on because you are in charge of the whole borough. Yes. So um, that's sort of, you know, sort of my vision of how we could do this better. And I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, we can accomplish that. Okay, great. Well, thank you for your time. I appreciate you having me, Sarah. Thank okay. you. And good luck. Thank you. So what did we learn today from Councilman Costa Constantinides? We learned that above anything else is that representation matters. The MTA board is filled with people who don't live in the boroughs and more importantly, do not take public transportation. We need to have our borough presidents have a voice on the board as our borough presidents understand our transit needs as they also live it with us. And these are some of the issues that people had with the bus redesign plans. The plans were created by people who don't live the lives that we lead in the boroughs. Buses do more than get us from points of interest based on population and popularity. People need to visit their doctor, their friends, their family, school, their babysitter, the senior center. Again, if you have true representation then you can come up with a functional bus redesign that everybody can get behind. We also need true innovation for modern transit. Our needs are changing. Our lives are no longer centered primarily in Manhattan. This is where the Triborough comes in. It shouldn't take an hour and 15 minutes on a good day to get from Bay Ridge to Astoria. The tracks are there. You don't have to build anything. Definitely something to look into and imagine the positive dividends for each of these boroughs if it were so easy to get there. And sorry, MTA, contracting with Uber and Lyft is not innovation. Running more buses and expanding service is. Contributing to traffic and congestion is not the answer. So up until municipal control of the subway and buses comes to be, we need borough representation on the board. The only way for good functional service is for the MTA to understand the modern lives that we lead. This is why representation matters. I encourage any politician to talk to me. I may not agree with you politically, but we can still talk transit and the MTA. Color, creed, sexual orientation, or political affiliation doesn't matter. We're all just trying to get to work. Also, vote. Get out and vote. If you have not registered to vote, register to vote. We have a big election coming up, and local elections happen all the time. 
and that person that you vote for on the school board probably has higher political aspirations that ultimately may impact you more than what textbook your child reads. Plus, the MTA is in fact a political organization run by the governor with board members that he approves by, approves on. You can pick up registration forms at any municipal office. You can call 1-866-VOTE-NYC and they will send you a registration form and you can mail it back. You can also register online. Go to Board of City Elections in the City of New York and you can register there. As Bob Schieffer's mother used to say, go out and vote. It makes you feel big and strong. For those youngins who don't know who Bob Schieffer is, Get your Google on and Google him. I used to watch him every Sunday morning on my Sunday morning nerd show, Face the Nation. Face the Nation. Anyway, regardless, go out and vote. Let your voice be heard. That's it, everyone. Thank you for listening. And I hope that Councilman Costa Constantinides and I gave you something to think about and chew on. Remember, we're all in these tin cans together, and in order for this to work, we all have to participate. Or just be supportive and be in my amen corner. Here are some spots where you can reach out to the councilman and myself. And as the four tops once said, reach out and I'll be there. Thank you to Councilman Costa Constantinides for meeting with me, and thank you to Terrence for helping set up the meeting. Find the councilman at council.nyc.gov slash district hyphen 22 slash. Also, www.votecosta.com. His district office, 31-09 Newton Avenue, Suite 209, Astoria, 11102, phone number 718-274-45. Zero, zero. Legislative Office, 250 Broadway, Suite 1778, New York, New York, 10007, phone number 212-788-6963. Phone number for his campaign office, 347-494-0460. Email, costa at costaforqueens.com, and four is the number four. Twitter, at Costa4NY, Facebook, at Costa4NY, Instagram, Costa4NY. Find me, email, podcastsarah at gmail.com, and Sarah is with an H. This podcast is hosted on Anchor.com. Twitter, at ExeneZoom, that's E-X-E-N-E-Z-O-O-M, where I employ the hashtags Hashtag service evasion and hashtag build the buses slow. Instagram, lights at the end of the tunnel, one big word. Facebook, lights at the end of the tunnel. SoundCloud, lights at the end of the tunnel. Spotify, lights at the end of the tunnel. Stitcher, lights at the end of the tunnel. Google Podcasts, lights at the end of the tunnel, although this app is only available for Android users. Breaker Social Podcast, Lights at the End of the Tunnel. Cast Box, Lights at the End of the Tunnel. Overcast, Lights at the End of the Tunnel. RadioPublic.com, 
Lights at the end of the tunnel. Pocket cast. Lights at the end of the tunnel. Overcast. Lights at the end of the tunnel. Thanks to Ox on the Roof for the intro music. Follow them on Twitter at OxRoofMusic. Also SoundCloud, Ox on the Roof. And Instagram, Ox on the Roof. So reach out and share. The only way for this to be successful is to work together. We need to shine a light so bright they can't ignore us. Shine brightly, everybody.